And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Special weekend edition of the VanCast, and this is how we treat the VIPs, Drancer. Canucks advanced to the playoffs for the first time in five years. You're up uh, working hard, writing into the middle of the night. I was hosting late night radio, but damn it, we're back at it early on a Saturday morning because the people deserve it. The Canucks are going to the playoffs. Well, and you could feel the energy on Twitter, like people filling my feed with photos of them 10 years ago and today. And, you know, when you get home, <laughs> when you get home from a game at 1 a.m. or whatever, you know, you crack the beer and you're like, well, should I write something this evening or, or should I get some rest? And you log on to Twitter and people are like, it's been 10 years. And you just like feel that pent up energy from, you know, a community of diehard hockey fans who've been through the absolute ringer over the past four or five years. You know, it makes it a little bit easier to write. Now, now granted, so does the beer. Uh, but, I, but I cracked a couple. I went through my recorder. Uh, I just wanted to write something about Tanev in particular because there's this symbolic like his second career playoff game was the game in which BXO won the uh, San Jose Western Conference series right like yeah. the Western Conference final that was Tanev's second game he played with Erhoff Hurt played 20 minutes as they went into double overtime which you know I mean it's not a ton like we talk about Olio Levy playing five right like Tanev played nine minutes in that game six um, the the game before uh, when the <laughs> San Jose Sharks paraded to the penalty box and essentially punted on the series. But the, you know, to think about that and to think about how few playoff games he's played since, right? Like, you, you go through that, you think, oh, I'm probably going to play, you know, I'm probably going to play a ton for this team over the next 10 years, right? And instead he's played, you know, the five games against LA, the sweep against San Jose, the six-game series against Calgary, and that's kind of it. Like, that was his first career that playoff. It. That game. is it. That is it. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, over the course of that 10 years, like, this is a guy who's blocked how many shots with his face? Like, how many 
how many shots with his knees? Like, how many times have you been like, oh, my God. And Chris Tanev's just, like, limping off the ice only to take his next shift, you know? The way that he's played, how difficult those minutes have been, how gamely he's done it all for this team that's gone nowhere during the prime years of his career, uh, for him to be the guy to bridge the era, uh, to bridge eras between two sort of iterations uh, of Canucks playoff teams. I mean, that's just uh, a pretty remarkable sort of symbolic moment, I think. And and I do think it signals some intent. Like, it signals that this team's now a playoff team again. And a playoff team is a sticky term. Like, a playoff team's got to make it year after year. And I think one thing we got to take from this, you know, in addition to the fact that, you know, proof of concept for Canucks management, but also this has to be the start of a run in which they do it multiple times. And, and I think that's a good thing. Like, I think the return of expectations, the return of pressure, the return of fans maybe being able to stick out their chest a little bit in Vancouver, like, that's a good thing for this hockey team, even if they've just climbed from the bottom to the middle and the next step from the middle to the top is going to be a lot harder. Like, I think it's time for that. It's time for that sort of boisterous energy and uh, I mean, good. Like, welcome back. Like, let's 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 go with that because I think it's an important thing. I think it's a thing that this market's typically had in my adult life. It hasn't for the last five years. Um, I, I, I'm I'm happy to see sort of that coming back, and I want to advocate for it. Like, I want to advocate for the return of standards among hockey fans in Vancouver, J. Pat. Uh, they deserve it after after a win like last night. Well, it's funny you mention all of that because, you know, there was this suggestion coming into hockey in the summer in the bubble. You know, was there full buy-in? Did it really matter? Yes, the Stanley Cup's on the line. Like, we haven't seen that kind of emotion from Jim Benning. Like, the camera shots of Jim Benning just giving her after the win and the way that, you know, Travis Green, like, that's a photo that's going to go on his office wall. You know it will. Uh, you know, with the arm raised and the... Yeah, uh, you know, like for it to be Tanev too, like when you talk about guys that you mentioned, like have bled for this organization, they love that guy. Like the, the Tan man might be the most popular player in that locker room, you know, the years that he's accrued, the fact that he doesn't say a lot and just shows up and plays balls out night after night. Like the way they mobbed him, and and I want to hear from you because I mean you've spent so much of your first week in Edmonton, sort of reacting to the the sounds, the visceral reactions, uh, and there were a few in that game. But you know what I love about where we are with social media and access, like that video when Tanev had done his interview for TV and was the last guy into the locker room, and they mobbed him again. Like I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. You like. Damn, damn right it means something to these guys uh, for players that haven't been to, you know, to the playoffs or guys that haven't been there in a long, long time like Tanev. Like, yeah, you could see yes, how much it mattered. And, yeah, you could see how much it mattered. And and look, I think you're, sacri- you're sacrificing so much to be here from the perspective of those players. And, and honestly, from the perspective of, you know, Canucks support staff, Canucks coaches, right? And, I, I mean, even staying fit the way that they have, um, you know, the importance, the level of work in phase three, right? The, the, and not just the level of work on the ice, but the, you know, seriousness with which Canucks players avoided and, and all NHL players, right? Avoided putting themselves in the sort of higher risk social situations in, in which you can contract the virus, right? Like there's a reason that there were no positive tests in the last two weeks in phase three facilities. And by the way, it's an awful lot more impressive that there were no 
positive tests in the latter two weeks of phase three testing facilities in some of those American markets, which were going through pretty significant outbreaks at the time, right? Like all of these guys have sacrificed time with family, um, you know, curbed their choices in terms of how they've spent their time, uh, made sure to be in low risk environments, stayed fit in challenging circumstances. Like there's a lot of sacrifice, shared sacrifice that's gone into being here. So yeah, of course they wanted to be here. And then, and then I do think, it was amplified a little bit because the goal was scored by Tanev. Like, I do think that that matters a little bit more. I, I don't think there's a more popular guy on the team, right? Like, goalies, first of all, love Chris Tanev across the board. Totally. Yeah. But also it's like, there's dynamics in locker rooms, right? There's old guys, there's young guys, there's friend groups, right? I think Chris Tanev is a guy everyone loves, right? Like, the Chris Tanev is the old guy who spends time with the young guys. Like, this is the guy who plays hockey kind of the right way. He has that respect around the league, and... I think there's a, a level to which the fact that it was this guy who, who scored it amplified those. Not not a ton. It's still an overtime winner. It's still like th- there would have been a raucous celebration no matter who'd scored. But does it add an extra 5% that it was him? Yeah, I think it does. Well, he cooks for everybody. Like, I'd love somebody that cooked for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, on top of his, you know, again, like he's so understated and always has been. And sort of this idea that, you know, the young guys gravitate to him. Like, I just, I love that dynamic and, you know, the chess games and, you know, we've seen these pictures of Petey and Hughes over at his place. And, and part of that is that he does, he cooks for these guys. And so, uh, yeah, you, I mean, you have to feel good for him, you know, this unexpected overtime hero, like even Travis Green joked about having him in the pool, you know, three points, like just the second time in his career, he's had a three point night. And he pulls that out, you know, on a night where he caps it with the overtime winner to punch their ticket to the playoffs. When I talk about the reaction in the building, like you're there in Edmonton and you have been and you've been documenting the sounds. Like, just kind of walk me through those 11 seconds of overtime the way you saw it from your perch in the building. Yeah, the well, the, the noise of the Canucks celebration was, you know how there's this like phrase in horror filmmaking J. Pat, and I, I'm not going to quite get it right, but I think I can capture the spirit, which is that, you know, what's unfamiliar and unknown can be terrifying, but the scariest thing is something that fits what you're used to, that is familiar, but just askew, right? Like, that's sort of a concept in horror. And so I've been watching these games, and nothing that I've seen has sounded like the playoffs, right? Like, it hasn't sounded like hockey as I know it, Right. It's been such a distinct audio experience for me. And all of a sudden, that goal goes in. And you've got 30 people, you know, all the Canucks plus support staff, cheering for a sustained period of time with excitement. All of a sudden, a goal was cheered. And not just with the usual, like, yeah, fuck yeah, stick taps, you know? (laughs) Like, with a different level of excitement, right? And all of a sudden, it was it was like, it reminded me how creepy it was, right? Because this was the first moment that I'd been in the building that I'd heard a group of people cheer with excitement for for a sustained period. It was the loudest the building's been in the qualifying round. And it was this moment that actually offered a stark relief with sort of the absence of, of a sound that I've been, you know, that I've almost gotten used to. And all of a sudden, it was it was almost disturbing, right? Like, I thought about it for a second, and I was like, this is almost disturbing, because this is a fraction of what 
a building actually sounds like in the playoffs after a big moment for a franchise. And and it was just such a such an eerie experience as I sort of unpacked it. And and, and it was an eerie experience, not just on reflection, like in the moment, uh, especially because of the way that I've been listening to these games. I was just like, oh, like this is different. This is all of a sudden <laughs> it, real in a different way. Uh, and reminded me of just how big a vacant space I was occupying while while being one of what maybe five five to ten ten people um, outside of NHL staffers and Canucks management who watched this game live. You know, it's funny because you've done a nice job of documenting the sounds, and I really hadn't thought an awful lot about that kind of you know being one of the tangible takeaways on a nightly basis. But you wrote about Staylock and and sort of how loud he is, and you did the whole Winnipeg Calgary game. Uh, when Shifley got injured. And so, you know, now that I've been watching, like even on television, you know, I've been trying to pick up some of that stuff. And like for me, yeah, it was such a good goal. There was such so many, like the sequence uh, on Horvat's goal to tie the game, the goal that they needed to force overtime. And Tanner Pearson doing the work down low and spinning off Spurgeon and finding Horvat in front. And it came through over the television. Like Horvat, there was that moment, like you could hear... Bo Horvat just kind of let out that primal scream too because he knew how big that goal was not for no, not just for him obviously but for the hockey club to get back on even terms to erase yet another deficit for a team that went down one nothing and three to one and four to three and time ticking away uh, and you could hear Bo Horvat and just so, how much that goal meant to him in that moment as well. Yeah, and <laughs> absolutely. Well, and he played a really good game, right? Like oh, yeah. five on five, I thought that was his best game of the of the series, right? Look, five on five across the board, I thought it was the Canucks' best game of the series, to, to be totally honest with you. But when you look at, you know, Bo Horvat's 15 minutes, um, three goals for the Canucks in those minutes, right? Outchanced the Wild 2-1, to one, um, you know, and, and I mean, those were those were tough minutes. Like the the sort of way that Dean Evason chose to deploy his team changed pretty significantly in that game. Like, all of a sudden we saw a Koivu hard match against Elias Pettersson uh, and and it actually worked like Pettersson had his best game five on five but most of the damage territorially speaking came and on shifts where Green was able to get him out on lines uh, against other people uh, who weren't Miku Koivu um, and and you know so but Bo Horvat was still battling Eric Stahl and outplayed him like Bo Horvat spent almost all of his ice time against top six competition whether it was you know the Parise line or the Stahl line and yeah, like, they played really well in those minutes. Like, they, he crushed the Spurgeon pair, right? Like, the, if there was one guy who benefited from Ryan Suter not being in the lineup, like, it was absolutely the Horvat line. And I loved the play from Tanner Pearson along the wall because I could see that he'd got position on Susie well before, the, like, as the puck was rimming around, I was like, oh, he's going to win this battle. But he won the battle in such a way that he also bought himself the time to hold off Susie in his back pocket and make the pass. Like, I thought that Pearson play was just awesome, especially because he'd pivoted. Like, he made a quick move with his feet to get position as the puck rimmed around. I saw it sort of happening almost in slow motion. I was like, he has position here. And then to use the position to just hold it, to not skate, uh, but to just look to make the play off the wall. Like, that was awesome. That was one of the best plays that was the best skill play I've seen Tanner Pearson make all year, uh, and it was you know one that obviously changed the Canucks' fate. I was so impressed by what that line was able to do last night, and especially by the playmaking. You know, something we haven't seen a ton of from Pearson right. this season on that on that sequence. 
Right, because five-on-five offense in those final 20 games before play was halted from that line, you know, Horvat, we've talked about, has become a power play ace, but five-on-five, you know, they were lacking offense. Mm. Well, Pearson scores five-on-five last night, and then he sets up Horvat. You know, the fact that Zach McEwen is on the wing with five minutes to go and this team, you know, needing a goal, trailing, and, you know, McEwen... Again, he didn't play much in game number three, but he was effective and, you know, tried to be physical, drawing penalties, and didn't look out of place. And the fact that he took a regular shift, you know, right down to the buzzer when the Canucks were trailing and then tied, like, uh, good on him. I mean, that, uh, again, just continues uh, sort of the story of Zach McEwen and where he's been uh, from training camp, and here he is getting an opportunity Uh, You know, at the end of this thing, though, and there are so many storylines, and we'll touch on Markstrom and his night and his series, but, you know, we can't go any further without talking about Quinn Hughes because, you know, all this talk coming into the series, the experience in the Minnesota Wild, the youthful enthusiasm of the Vancouver Canucks. Yes, these young guys were terrific in the regular season, but postseason is a different animal. The layoff, all these questions, and, like, damn, if Quinn Hughes didn't get better here in his first taste of postseason hockey. And we already know, like, the bar is sky high. It's been through the roof all season for this guy. And there he is just slicing and dicing the Minnesota Wild defense. They had no match for him. Uh, On the Sutter goal, that play that he makes to create separation down the wing and just peels off and leaves his check, like, nowhere to be found. You know, it's that kind of stuff. And playoff hockey is supposed to be hard. It is hard. Except it wasn't hard for for Quinn Hughes. Like it just the guy is just so much fun to watch, and you know he delivered. They came through for the Vancouver Canucks. Probably not a surprise, but again, when you know you, you don't have a body of work to judge him on at this level, um, you know you run out of things to say. Like I, I do, I find myself running out of superlatives for Quinn Hughes. But fuck, he was awesome. He was so good. And, you know, I think I think we'll look back and remember that Quinn Hughes took over this game, right? With the Canucks getting, you know, not the goaltending that they've been used to, right? Um, taking yeah. far too many penalties, especially in the first half of the game. Down 3-1. You know, Quinn Hughes made one of those button hook curls that he only he seems to be able to make at the blue line. Gained separation. Walked the line right into the middle uncorked a massive slap shot the puck flew up in the air and Brandon Sutter you know cleaned up the garbage full credit to him right I'm not saying garbage in a negative sense by any means in the playoffs you need to score that way uh and then you know beat Staylock again with just an absolutely perfect sort of uh, was that a wrist shot or a slap shot like in real time I couldn't even tell it was just a a hard shot released quickly Uh, I think it was a wrister right the yep. Hughes' no, goal was. was a wrist shot, yeah, um, yep. but it was a tremendously smart wrist shot. Just seeing eyes, found top corner, excellent stuff. So you know, I think the, I think the fact of the matter is, is that Hughes took over that game. And you know, I, I, when you look at the underlying numbers, I mean, they're they're mouth watering, right? They're nothing short of mouth watering. And I, I said it on the post game show, and I'll, I'll say it again. But when with Hughes on the ice, when he's on like that, the Canucks get two for every one that the Minnesota Wild get, right? So so what that means is Stalock has to make two saves for every save Jacob Markstrom has to make. And, and guess what? That gives your goaltender a pretty significant cushion, right? So so you're taking too many penalties and, and allowing a shorty against early. Uh, if you're getting two for every one that your opponent gets, that gives everyone else in the lineup just this margin for error 
you know, that, that stood up last night, that allowed them to overcome what certainly wasn't their cleanest or best game or, or certainly the best, you know, goaltended. Um, that's what Quinn Hughes can do. That's what he can do at 20. <laughs> like, it's, it's outrageous. Uh, that was an outrageous performance. He was far and away, clearly, the best player on the ice last night. Right, and, and to your point of 2-1, to one, you know, the 2 for the Canucks is with their best players on the ice generally as well, right? So, you know, you're loading up that your two chances when Quinn Hughes is out there with Pedersen and Besser and, you know, the lotto line or on the power play, you know, it, it's guys that are likely to finish. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's been doing it all season, just drives so much offense and just makes it look so easy and the points follow him wherever he is. Like, you know, six points in the series – no other defenseman in this return to play has more than four. So, you know, here he is, 20 years old, getting his first look at hockey at this level, and he's already outpointed every other guy that plays that position to this uh, portion of this tournament. And, you know, we know that the, the totals are only going to go up because uh, he's guaranteed at least four more games. And, you know, hopefully there's a, a whole lot more uh, than that left in the tank for the Vancouver Canucks as uh, they push on here into the round of 16. Uh, what about Markstrom? I mean, what a bizarre 24 hours or... 36 hours, I guess, from the early game on Thursday on the shutout to, you know, three goals that we haven't seen him let in all season long. And yet it happens uh, in sequence, the short side, like just could not seal that short side against the post at all last night. No, uh, he, he looked tired, right? I thought he looked tired. And, you know, you think about four and six and, and a back-to-back set, you know, in, in a proportional point of your ramp up, Right, it, it, like regular season-wise, this would be the equivalent of what we're three and a half weeks in the first week of the season, maybe the second week of the season. There's a reason no goalie would play four and six and back to backs in the second week of the regular season, right? Like, I don't think he was in that type of rhythm that would allow him to do this sort of thing in December and February, which we've sort of seen him do successfully, right? I, I think that was a factor. I, I do, and you know. I mean, my sort of watchword is when it's loud around Markstrom, you worry, right? Mm -hmm. And it was after the first goal. So the first goal, he loses his post. And I was like, ooh, that's not a Markstrom goal you want to see. And then he had that adventure when he went out and tried to play the puck. Right, yes. And it was that moment. It was that moment. It's still one nothing, but he has that adventurous puck handling decision. And it was that moment. I, I Honestly, I wrote something out and I decided not to tweet it. That was just like, I don't know much about the technical side of goaltending. But I watch for how loud Markstrom is in terms of his efficiency in the crease and in terms of his puck handling decisions as a proxy for whether he's on or not tonight. He's not on tonight, right? Like, I almost tweeted it after that play. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to do this. I don't want to spend time, you know, telling people I'm not being negative when I'm just being completely fair. And, you know, I, I mean, I trust Markstrom to bounce back. Like, a lot of a lot of the analytics guys thought Markstrom wouldn't have the season he did, right? I always sort of thought he would. Um, so I'm not trying to I'm not trying to I'm not trying to blast a guy early in a playoff game or or put Canucks fans on edge. But I feel like I knew early that he wasn't going to be on, and I almost said something about it. And then as the sort of game unfolded, and he kept getting beat by that post, and the Wild started shooting for it. Like in the third period, they started shooting to test him there, um, which was sort of you know, uh, uh, just a sign that they didn't think he was on, that they were seeing it. And yeah, he wasn't on. He wasn't his best game. And I loved his comment post game. Like, I just want to thank all the players um, that we scored one more goal tonight than I let yeah. in. Like, 
That was awesome. I, I love that Markstrom sort of carries himself like that. That's just that matter-of-fact, self-effacing shit. Um, tremendous stuff from him. And look, you know, I think there's some fans who are like, well, he wasn't that good in this play-in. You know, I don't think he was very good in game one. Like, I think he, it's undersold how he played in game one. I think it's probably oversold how poorly he played in game four, right? Like, for me, he had two iffy games and two absolutely, absolutely lights-out dominant ones. Um, that's okay. Like, consistency kind of comes with repetition and with you ramping up your game fitness. I don't think the Canucks are going to have any trouble with Markstrom. Like, he's not going to be this team's problem when they get into the round of 16 for me. I would be shocked. Um, so well, this is not sort of a long-term thing I'm looking at. I don't think this is going to be the Achilles heel for the team by any means. But, you know, he, it wasn't his best game in Vancouver's, you know, Game 4 win. Right. And, and, look, we haven't seen the schedule for the next round, the first round. But, you know, teams are out of the bubble. Like, I, I would imagine that we'll get back to every other day. Like, I don't think they'll be back-to-backs at this stage, but... I don't know that for a fact. I mean, uh, they are trying to get this thing done and over with. So uh, we'll have to wait. We've got to see who the Canucks' next opponent is, see the schedule. Uh, but he's certainly going to get some time off here uh, before they... I think I, They're certainly not going to play before Tuesday. My hunch is they probably won't start until Wednesday because uh, they're waiting for that Dallas-St. Louis game, and that's on Sunday. And so uh, I think the next round probably starts on Tuesday. But, you know, if the Stars and the Blues are playing on Sunday... They may not have to play again till Wednesday. So we'll have to wait and see on all that. But the bottom line in that is that Markstrom's going to get some time to work with Ian Clark to go over video. And, you know, yeah. you saw on Thursday what he can be and what he has been. And look, like if there was one guy that the skaters in front of him had to pick up at some point, you know, this season, you think how many times Markstrom's done it in reverse for the team in front of him. Uh, they kind of owed it to him, and, and look, he held up his bargain, didn't, you know, gave up four, but he didn't give up that fifth one, and uh, in the end, the Canucks able to win it by a score of five to four. I mentioned that some teams obviously have been eliminated, like the Minnesota Wild, so the list of Stanley Cup contenders has been trimmed. You know what else has been trimmed, Rancer? What? Oh, what What else has been trimmed? <laughs> what? what? Trim, trimmed cl- a, close, a close cut on what, J-Pet? <laughs> no, I, I was trying to find a segue into letting the people know about Manscaped. We've uh, been down this road before. Manscaped is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped is launched here in Canada. For those listeners uh, in this country, you can be one of the first Canadians to experience their life-changing products. And that's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team perfected the greatest trimmer ever created. And they've got the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Check it out. And you can get 20% off free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use the code THEATHLETIC20. Might I just say... Now that I've got uh, the Manscaped promo out of the way. Like, I'm, I'm glad that we're doing this on Saturday. Because if we had to try to do a podcast on Thursday, and you may hear it a little bit in my voice. Like, my voice was fading on Thursday. I had four fucking months where my voice could have disappeared completely and it didn't matter. 
And then hockey returns and this, and I'm hosting, you know, all sorts of radio, morning, noon, <laughs> night, late night. Yes. And I'm saying, like, come Sounding like you've been on. smoking since in the womb. <laughs> come on. Anyways, uh, got the lozenges. Uh, we worked through it, uh, feeling a little better. And uh, anyhow, uh, yes, I, I got to make sure that uh, the voice is there because, uh, again, my Canucks are into the playoffs. So uh, we'll continue to pump out podcasts on the regular here. And when we know their opponent, uh, we'll get a new one out uh, early next week and, you know, be able to start setting up uh, that series and the storylines that uh, exist, either the Blues or the Stars. Like when we step back, like we've analyzed the game and we've talked about individuals, you know, coming into the series against Minnesota, you know, I think the storylines were, look, the Canucks have more difference makers up front, right? We thought that Jacob Markstrom probably had to outplay Alex Stalock, but ultimately the Canucks' best players had to be their best players. And I, I think that was the case. Like when you look at Minnesota, you know, Kevin Fiala was hurt early and it wasn't for lack of trying. I mean, the guy's a, a shot attempt machine, but, you know, the Canucks didn't let Kevin Fiala beat them. And yeah, Eric Stahl scored a goal, but, you know, Zach Parisi was pretty quiet, I thought, in that series. And ultimately, when you look, you know, we talked about Quinn Hughes. We talked about Bo Horvat. Besser obviously announced his arrival in the series with a couple of key goals. Um, you know, Elias Pettersson had his moments. I still think there's room for more from Elias Pettersson. And a guy like JT Miller, you know, the nice toe drag in game number two, but, you know, for a team's leading scorer, like, I didn't think it was a loud, loud series for JT Miller, but, you know, some of the things that don't show up on the score sheet... He's the guy that's in forcing Dumba to, you know, try to rim that puck around the boards in overtime and then gets to the front of the net and, you know, creates a screen. So it's impossible to say that JT Miller didn't contribute. I just think from a Canuck perspective, like they got past the wild as I think a lot of people thought they would, but I still think there's a whole lot more there from that top group of forwards. I don't know if there's more from Quinn Hughes. I I just hope that, you know, it continues for Quinn Hughes, but in terms of more to give, I think it's fair to say that about Pedersen and JT Miller. No question. And look, I thought, I think the, you know what it reminds me of? Remember in October where it was like people were saying, um, you know, like Pedersen's not as electric as he was in his rookie year. And then you look yep. at the, you look at the point totals and he's like 11 points in nine games. Right. <laughs> Doesn't this kind of feel like that? Right. Like, Pedersen didn't really take over at any point. I think that's absolutely true. Um, and yet, point per game, right? Point per game and really his his work on the power play won game three, right? His performance in game two, he had only one assist, but he was absolutely dominant, right? Mm-hmm. That's, sort of, that's sort of what this reminds me of. Like, I agree with you. It was pretty quiet around them in that they didn't do the Quinn Hughes thing, right? Like... Ultimately, Quinn Hughes took over a couple of games. I think he took over the latter two games of the series, sort of uh, snuffed out the Wild in, in their cribs, as it were, right before they could even make the playoffs. Quinn Hughes ended it. Um, we didn't really get that from Pedersen and company to this point, but I, I still think they played well, and they certainly were the Canucks' best forward line, right? Uh, they were certainly the line that matched up with three different centermen as the series went along. That was the problem that Dean Evason was trying to solve, as it were. Uh, and so, you know, you sort of go back to it and you look at the fact that 45-ish minutes on the ice, five on five, the, the Canucks outshot the Wild 30-21 with Pedersen on the ice, had more scoring chances than them and, and by, a fit, by, by a relatively large margin and certainly posed enough of a threat that the Wild grappled 
uh, openly, right? Like openly, you can tell by Dean Everson's choices that when he looked at the whiteboard, every every game between games, his concern was how do I account for this guy, uh, this line because I I don't have an answer, and he didn't. He ultimately did not find an answer in time. Uh, I don't know if the, there was one just based on the wild roster. And and look, we do have to mention too, like this was a big win for the Canucks. Canucks fans should savor it. They should enjoy it. They should be excited. But also that wild team was not you know, particularly good and, and certainly does not represent the type of challenge that a Dallas or a St. Louis will represent. But And, and you know, in saying that, though, I do want to note one other thing. The Canucks are going to get the loser of the Sunday round-robin game, JPAT. They're going to have the fourth seed, whoever's the lowest seed among, among the round-robin teams. So they're going to be playing in a 4-5 matchup. Right, so this Canucks team is effectively going to go into the playoffs as the and yes, weird times, totally yep. not normal. This this type of bracket doesn't even exist. But as the fifth seed in the West, um, <laughs> among all the things that were weird about 2020, that's certainly one of them. Well, but more than that, Drancer is the fact that they get the loser on Sunday, which means they're going to see a winless team. Like, the Canucks have three wins, three in a row. Like, they've sort of figured out, and I'm with you. Like, it, it gets way harder from here. Like, the Minnesota Wild were in that mud puddle with all those other teams around the bar. You know, they're seeing a top-four team. Even if they haven't had their good stuff in this round robin, like, they're a good team for a reason. But just in terms of, you know, the Canucks coming together as a group, kind of the resolve that they showed coming from behind and all of that— they're going to face a team that has yet to get a victory in the bubble. And, you know, I don't know if that's going to mean anything, but it clearly tells you that whoever they're playing hasn't had their good stuff. They haven't had their fastball or they haven't been able to find their fastball yet. So, you know, maybe there's a chance for the Canucks to to jump on uh, that next opponent just based on this return to play form. So just, you know, keep that in mind beyond being a 4-5 matchup. It's that they're going to get a team that's sort of scuffling right now. Yeah, and they are, and they're going to get a team that's a lot older than them, right? Like, the the Stars and the Blues are older. The Blues have played like they're not really sure they want to maximize their time in the bubble, to be honest, right? And, yep. they, and they won a cup the year prior, you know? I don't know that they're as emotionally invested in this I as totally agree with that. certainly I... some of the other teams in the qualifying round, especially Colorado, especially, especially Colorado. <laughs> By the way, I heard an unbelievable McKinnon story that I, that I'll save for when the avalanche do a, do something crazy uh, mm-hmm. or, or even when we're, we're podcasting after the Canucks season, right. And have something okay. to talk about. Cause I think the abs are going all the way, but I heard just an awesome McKinnon story. Uh, remind me, like, I just want to, I just want to tease this. And, re- and remind I am me making to bring a note a right now. Moment. Yes, I've yes. Got make a note. Okay. So, but the, I, I think the Blues have looked like the most disengaged team here in two games. They've been outshot by twenty one just at five on five. JPAT. like that's hard to do. I, I think I don't think the Blues want to be here. I, I don't. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just going to come out and say it. I don't think the Blues want to be here based on what I've seen, and I've seen an awful lot of hockey. I haven't seen a team look like that. Not even the Edmonton Oilers, who. As an Edmonton Oilers fan, despondent on the streets of Edmonton, said, and I overheard it, and I'm stealing it, and I'm going to use it again and again. They played like their breakfast was cold, uh, and I just thought that was dead on. Uh, the Dallas Stars, I think, have looked better. Like, I think the Dallas Stars have played a lot better than the uh, Blues have, for me anyway. But, you know, that's that's a team that's a little bit older, right? Like, the, I like Heskinen and, and Lindell, like, I really, and, and Klingberg, like, I love their defense core. I think that's going to be their big edge in the series against Vancouver. But 
up front, they're not they're not very quick, and they own the Canucks in the regular season series. But I still think that the Canucks are going to have a shot, like a credible shot, against both of those teams. Now, not that they'll be favored, not that I'll pick them, uh, but I think that the way that this has unfolded has you know given Canucks fans something to really look for in terms of you know shaping up to give them a seven game series where you know it's not just that they made the playoffs but they might actually have a shot here well yeah let's save the preview you know until yes we know who their me. opponent is no, no, that's fine no no but before yeah. we get too deep on either of these teams like we'll let them play on sunday uh you know may the best team win i suppose and uh, the canucks will you know take the leftovers they'll take the the team on the scrap heap the fourth seed and uh that'll be the matchup whenever it starts Bonus podcast here, and just a ton of ground to cover, obviously, coming off a win, uh, you know, and to, to move on to the playoffs for the first time in five years. What did you see in the warm-up from Oscar Fantenberg? Because it, it seemed curious that Yolevi took the warm-up two games in a row, and I just thought, like, there's no way this guy's getting in. There was no indication that, you know, there was anything wrong with Fantenberg. I saw everybody that was tweeting out the, the line rushes in warm-up had Fantenberg as a participant, and then the lineup comes out, and there's Ole Levy making his NHL debut. Uh, I, I'm guessing you didn't have August the 7th, 2020, in your pool for Ole Levy's first <laughs> NHL game. I didn't, but the fact that he was warming up for a second game, right, did make me think there might be something going on here. But there was no indication of it through warm-up. Sometimes you can tell that a guy's sort of half-heartedly going through it, and, and I start scanning the bench to see if there's a trainer on the bench, you know, who he's conferring with. Um, you know, I think about Pedersen in Minnesota, right? Where yeah. it was like he was ta- he took rushes, but he was doing it sort of half-heartedly. Um, you know, just clearly not comfortable. Uh, that wasn't the case for Fantenberg. Fantenberg was a full participant. He looked like a full participant. I saw nothing in how Fantenberg took warm-ups to indicate that he wasn't going to play. But the fact that Yo Levy was warming up for a second consecutive game did give me pause and made me think he'd, he'd be in. And look, he didn't play much. Canucks didn't play their third pair much at all. Uh, but I thought Yolevi played well. Like, he played fine. He didn't make a mistake. He didn't... There wasn't even a dicey moment when he was on the ice. I don't think the Wild had a five-on-five shot um, with Yolevi on the ice. Now, partly that's because of how Green protected him, but also partly it's because, you know, he, he played well. Like, he played fine. He, he, did what he, he did what he had to do. And, you know, it's not the first time we've seen a young... Like, you can't read too much into him playing five minutes... You know, as I said, Chris Tanner's playoff debut was a nine-minute game. Um, and, you know, he was playing 20 minutes by the Stanley Cup final. Like, that's sometimes how you build trust. And you can build trust rapidly if you're reliable in the playoffs. So, you know, even Green postgame, well, I haven't seen him much. Yeah, of course he hasn't seen him much. So, um, we'll sort of see where this goes. Hopefully, uh, Look, if Fantenberg or Jordy Ben is an option for game one, I don't think Yolevi's going to play. But... Now I do think that there's going to be a, a greater level of comfort in the event that, you know, the Canucks are forced into this situation again. And it wouldn't take a ton, right? It would probably just take an injury on each side. Um, you know, if the Canucks are going to play more hockey here, even if it's only six more games um, or more, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a very real possibility Olevi could get back in. And based on how he played in game four, uh, you know, I, I'd bet he'd get back in with, Green and company ha- having a much higher degree of comfort than they did when he when they when they first sort of drew up their lineup and went with him on Friday night. No, I mean, like when you think about it, like the Canucks in an elimination game beat the Minnesota Wild with 
Ole Levy making his NHL debut, Zach McEwen playing regular shifts right down to the final buzzer in the third period, Brandon Sutter, Jay Beagle, Louis Erickson all in the lineup and pulling on the rope in the same direction, and Jacob Markstrom having one of his worst games uh, of the season. Like, you know, there is a, <laughs> there is a randomness to all of this. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, hey, it all worked out for the Canucks, and now they get some time off to try to heal up, and we'll... Uh, do a, a head count the next time we see them and see if uh, any of the injured guys are any closer to being available. And uh, just as we wrap things up here, again, you're in the building. We, we touched on the, the wild celebration, uh, not the wild celebration, but the wild celebration uh, by the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> did, did they let Tyler Myers take part? <laughs> they did. They did. Look, Tyler Myers. Oh, good. Okay, I, good. Myers had an okay game except for the fact that he took, what, was it two more? Two more minor penalties. Two more. Um, Nine. Yeah. Nine. Yeah. Look, there's a lot of ticky tack. I want you, you. It almost feels like Tyler Myers showed up for a playoff series, and they've called it like the regular season. Like, there's at least. I think if you go back and cross reference his penalties with my tweets, you'll see me call like four, three or four of them soft. So I do want to sort of at least give him that sort of benefit of the doubt. But we also have to point out, like, this is a guy who's taken double the number of minor penalties that anyone else has in this week of return to play in the entire NHL, right? Like this needs to be, he needs to curb this. Um, he can't keep, you know, <laughs> he can't keep subletting the penalty box. Like this needs to be uh, an area he avoids, uh, especially because look, the Canucks need him and they need him to play. Uh, he played the third most minutes of any Canucks defenseman. He played okay. He certainly played best uh, in his minutes with Hughes. Uh, but nonetheless, like I thought in a series, in this series for me, like, I didn't think Alex Edler's, I think Alex Edler's, like, toughness around the net was, was exactly what the Canucks needed, but the Wild outgenerated the Canucks and by a f- fairly large margin with Edler on the ice, right? Myers at least sort of came out even, which is important. Uh, they're going to need him. Like, they're going to, they're not playing Edler as much as they're playing Myers, Tanev, and Hughes. Like, they're going to need Myers to be able to stay on the ice kill penalties be a, be a regular here and he needs to he needs to cut down on those penalties especially when they get into these series against more difficult teams like Dallas and St. Louis yeah look I know this much about hockey it's hard to be a penalty killer if you're the guy <laughs> in the penalty box yeah. all the time and I'm with you like at evens Edler the numbers bear it out he did they they seem to pick on him but part of that is you know, he's been asked to play eight or nine minutes of shorthanded time in a couple of the games because uh, it was Myers. There were times of Stetcher, Tanev, like other defensemen were taking penalties. And it was just like, Eddie, they you got to get back out there. More penalty killing duty. And, you know, it's certainly engaged physically. Like even at this stage of his career, you know, I, I do think deep down that, you know, he doesn't show a lot of emotion. But I do think that uh, he kind of laps up uh, playing Tough hockey, playoff hockey. And uh, so, you know, there was enough to like in Edler's game, but you're right. Uh, they're going to see better opponents here. And, you know, as his ice time compounds and the deeper they go, you're probably asking a little too much if uh, you think that, you know, you're going to run him out there an awful lot and continue to have success. So Tyler Myers needs to <laughs> needs to smarten up a little <laughs> bit. No doubt about that. I, but, I, like, I'll agree with you. Like, the first penalty on stall, you know, he was tempting fate, like two or three kind of shots at stall behind the net. And, you know, the referee probably warning him and he just kept at it. And eventually you put it in the ref's hands and he made the call. But the second one, you know, it, it felt like a big man 
getting picked out of the crowd because he was the tallest guy on the ice. Totally. Like, you know, it was a battle in front of the net and a uh, big guy pushes littler guy down and somehow that's a penalty. I'm not sure. So I, I do think that, you know, he probably doesn't get cut a ton of slack just because he is as large as he is and he stands out in uh, in a crowd like that. But still, discipline at this time of year, is uh, it's important. And you can't keep giving... Uh, the other team power play opportunities, and you know he's in the box for that Kunin goal, and the first the team that had opened the scoring had score had gone on to win every game. So, you know, you thought the first one might be pivotal. In the end, the Canucks bail Markstrom out. They, in a, a sense, bailed Tyler Myers out as well. Playoff hockey, it's awesome. Into the Sweet 16 for the Vancouver Canucks. It's it so is. Good. And, and just to bring it full circle, like you could feel it. You could feel it on Twitter. You could feel it on the phone boards, hosting radio last night. Uh, I'm sure you see it in your mentions around. I saw a video from around town, like people at intersections were waving Canuck flags. Like, That's you know, awesome. they're Good. into it. You know, if people were taking a wait and see approach, the fact that they got past Minnesota and they are now officially in the like, I think it's only going to build from here. So, yep. uh, well, yeah, it's a crazy year and they're playing summer hockey in a bubble and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the Canucks are in the Stanley Cup playoffs now. And uh, let's get her going. Yeah. Like, I'm excited and I think a lot of people are. I, I'm I'm excited to watch more uh, of this team. I'm excited to watch how Hughes and Pedersen and if they can continue to step up because, you know, if you were to diagram what you would have wanted their first taste of playoff action to look like, I don't know that you would have done much better than Pedersen ends up drawing three different forward matchups as the opposing coach can't figure out what to do with his line. And Quinn Hughes takes over the latter two games to absolutely stomp on an opponent's throat I mean that's exactly what you want to see. Uh, I think if you're a if you're a hopeful Canucks fan with your eyes on the prize down the down the road of five to ten years from now, and you know this tournament's been weird, right? Like we've seen Chicago and Montreal advance, right? Like we have seen upsets, we have seen ridiculous results. We're going to continue to. What does this look like when a team that's fresh plays a team that hasn't played? You know, like these these qualifying round games have had playoff intensity the round robin games have not does that matter when the teams meet you know that's going to be a big question for me there's so much to unpack and we'll save some of it for monday but it's not going to take a lot for a really scary sort of top contending team or two to end up out you know in this bracket and if there was a year for a team that you know to outperform what we think of their true talent I mean, it's hard for me to conclude anything other than this is the year for that. And uh, and so that's sort of an exciting prospect, too, I think, that Canucks fans should be eyeing here. Uh, anything can happen. Um, there's a great unknown here as, as a team that's going to be coming off a playoff series win faces a team that's coming off, you know, what's been a, a pretty sort of uh, lackadaisical uh, round-robin game in the first round here. I, I, I'm excited to see who they match up with, and we'll break it all down next week, J-Pat. Right, and if the VIPs didn't already know, and hopefully they did, uh, we got you covered here at the VanCast uh, throughout this run. As long as the Canucks are around, we've been pumping out podcasts uh, during the pandemic. You can damn well be sure that uh, we'll continue to do it as long as they're playing <laughs> hockey. So uh, a special bonus for you. Uh, we figured that uh, you deserved it. Uh, it's been a long time coming, waiting for the Canucks to get to the playoffs. And as Drancer said, uh, once we know the opponent, uh, early Next week, we'll get right back at it, fire up uh, the microphones and uh, bring you a new VanCast and start to break down 
that next series for the Vancouver Canucks. Before we run, though, a reminder: Scott Burnside has daily playoff, uh, a daily playoff edition of Two Man Advantage Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday throughout the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs. I know that uh, you made an appearance mm-hmm. on Scott's podcast, so Scott keeps you up to speed with all the NHL action, dipping in on all of the series that are going on, plus some of the Athletics' best writers, including Drancer. So check that out. That's Two Man Advantage. And uh, as well, check out our comment section for each podcast episode here at the Athletic app. And don't forget, rate and subscribe the VanCast on Apple. We're humans. We love feedback. We love to hear from you. Anything you want to hear from us uh, on this Connect run, reach out. Let us know. Click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash thevancast, and get 40% off your subscription. Hey, Drancer, you've uh, earned a weekend off after this podcast, <laughs> of course. So uh, I know you've been busy, and there's more ahead, and we're all looking forward to it. So uh, enjoy the weekend in Edmonton. Get out there with your wife and uh, be a husband and a, and a human being, not just a hockey machine. <laughs> and uh, we'll look forward to catching up early in the week when we know the Canucks' next opponent, and we'll hammer out uh, a new VanCast for the people. Yeah, no, looking forward to it. I'm, I'm very grateful to all the teams in the Western bubble for taking care of business and, and getting me a lighter weekend, right? Like, that's honestly, thank you. Thank you, Arizona. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Chicago. Um, I appreciate it. I just want to I just want to dap all of you. And uh, and I want to just tease quickly on Monday. I'm debuting my first uh, edition of a column that's going to be a regular for, for as long as I'm here, uh, which is overheard in the Western bubble. The best chirps and quotes from the ice what you've seen on twitter that's been my b-sides i've been saving the good stuff <laughs> for a column uh-huh. that i'm launching on monday you know covering every team um there's some good nuggets in there really looking forward to it i'll uh, i'll get to that tomorrow uh while, while i watch dallas st louis with uh, with a keen interest and a keener interest because i know that whoever comes out on the bottom of that matchup is going to be vancouver's first round opponent Serve up the loser. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's right. go. Exactly. All right. Uh, for Drancers, J-Pat, uh, thanks so much for joining us here. Special weekend edition of the VanCast at theathleticandtheathletic.com. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.